this week from even from uh, uh, Gentiles who are opposing the teaching about Jesus. So everywhere they go, there's opposition. But everywhere they go, they continue to tell about the Lord Jesus Christ. And just before I go very far into this, it's kind of funny. I, I, I kind of wonder, we read about Paul and Barnabas, and they did their first missionary journey. If you're keeping up with your reading, we, we, we read the first missionary journey this week. And they're going, and there's they're part, of, uh, uh, part of temple, part of synagogue was, is that they'd read from the, uh, the first part of the Bible, the, 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 the first five, the Pentateuch, the first five, the books of the law. They would read from that, and then they would read from the prophets. And then they would give the opportunity of anyone uh, that the synagogue leader wanted to, they can invite to come and speak. Well, it was very natural for Paul and Barnabas to show up in synagogue, and they would invite them. They'd send them a little note, hey, do you guys want to, want to speak this morning? And they'd say, yeah, sure. I can only imagine what must have been going through their minds about, you know, here they are, they're fixing to speak and wondering about, well, I wonder how it's going to go today. Because yesterday, you know, last week when we were here and when we were in another city in synagogue, we got chased down a town and they were threatening to kill us. Uh, I wonder how it's going to go down today. But anyway, very exciting times there for Paul and Barnabas as they uh, as they took the gospel throughout Asia Minor, Minor there. But um, anyway, so everywhere they go, they're telling of the gospel. They're telling about Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and how you can receive forgiveness of sins by belief in his work on the cross. And at the same time, there is constant opposition to them. There's people all the time either threatening them or, or violent, violence against them and extreme, really, persecution. Uh, but this, the other thing that is a major theme in the book of Acts is there is the Holy Spirit's power. And we're going to be talking about that a lot today. Um, everywhere they go, they are empowered to speak with boldness and courage. And the Lord, as they prayed, extends his hand to work among them. And there's signs and wonders amongst the apostles and some of the other followers of Jesus Christ. Everywhere they go, there is healing, there is salvation, there is redemption for people in, in amongst their message. But in the end, I think, in my, in my humble opinion, I don't read this much, I read about maybe four themes, but I think this is the major theme is no matter where it goes, no matter where it's preached, no matter to whom, the gospel triumphs and the church grows. It happens from the beginning of the book to the end of the book of Acts, is that everywhere it's preached, people are turning, it's changing people's lives and it's changing history as we know it, it is being changed by the gospel of God. Amen? Uh, everywhere it goes. We talked a lot about that last week. I won't go into it anymore uh, today, but uh, I'll, I'll kind of let it go a little bit today. But anyway, if you have your Bibles with you in Acts chapter 8, um, as we, we just started this, I think this was our, our reading last uh, Sunday or Monday, something like that. It was last Sunday, wasn't it? Um, last Sunday. Um, anyway, um, because of what happens here in the church, well, last week when, when we talked, the gospel had only been really presented. They had only done any work there of spreading the gospel in Jerusalem. They were basically at the temple and, and people's houses where they were teaching, but something was going to happen. You remember Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said what? Uh, uh, he said, wait for power by the Holy Spirit, and once you've received it, then go and what? Into all the world eventually, right? Yeah, go into all the world. But they hadn't left Jerusalem. They stayed in the city this whole time. Well, finally, in Acts chapter 8, something's going to change all that. Stephen, you remember what happened in chapter 7 is Stephen was, was martyred. He was killed uh, for, um, well, just really boldly speaking the truth about what had happened with Jesus. And um, there is Saul in verse, chapter 8, verse 1. I believe that's chapter 8. It may be the end of verse 7. Sometimes my Bible doesn't have that. Anyway, so, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, 
and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Let's pause there for just a minute. Um, And so what had happened here is that they'd been in Jerusalem all this time, but then such a great persecution broke out that people fled. It was like like rats on a sinking ship. Everybody fled except for the apostles. Everyone else left. Hundreds of disciples scattered all across the region then because of fear about what was happening. There was such great persecution. And, you know, when you see an enemy who's willing to kill it's time to maybe kind of stop and reevaluate what you're doing, right? You know, if there's someone actually willing to shed blood and kill, maybe it's time to step back and think, well, hmm, you know, what am I doing here? Maybe we should or shouldn't be here. Obviously, we can read it today and say it was God's will that the apostles be, that the disciples be scattered and that they take the gospel to other reaches of the world other than Jerusalem. But anyway, godly men, in verse 2, buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to, what's it say there? destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Let me ask you this morning, who could stand, who could stand such opposition? Who could stand someone who was willing to shed blood, who was willing to kill to be able to tamp down this movement of Christianity? The Jewish leaders were willing to kill to stop Christianity. Paul was willing, or Saul at this point, was willing to kill to stop Christianity from spreading. And the encouragement, you know, while they're in Jerusalem, you know, when you're together with a whole bunch of people, it's real easy to be encouraged and to be emboldened. Well, at this point, they were all scattered, and they didn't have the encouragement of being together anymore, but they were gone to other parts of the world, and they were maybe some of them very much alone. Who, what, what fledgling movement could withstand that? And what hope that was there that Christianity would even continue? What hope was there that the church would survive? Remember, though, the very first time that they were persecuted, what the, what the apostles prayed for. Back in Acts, if you would turn to Acts chapter 4, I want to remind you about the very first persecution whenever uh, uh, Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin and eventually let go. But they come back, Peter and John come back to the disciples, and they all pray together. We read this a little bit last week, but I want to remind you. It says in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, it says, this has all happened. They've been, they've been threatened. Uh, they've been told not to speak any longer in the name of Jesus. And uh, the, this is how they respond. This is how the group of believers in Jerusalem responds. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So what did they pray for? Boldness and for the Lord's activity, right, among them to do signs and wonders, miraculous signs and wonders. Um, over here in Acts chapter 8, what do we see amongst the disciples? Well, we're about to read it. Acts chapter 8, verses, starting now in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Why? How? How did they do it? How did they have the courage, even while they were alone, even though they were fleeing for their lives from Jerusalem, how is it they had the boldness to speak and to preach in other parts of the world when they didn't have each other around in many, many, many situations? Philip, in particular, verse 5, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Um, the disciples were scattered, and, but everywhere they went, they boldly told the hope that they had found in Jesus Christ. It didn't stop them. You know why? Well, because when they were afraid, they prayed for boldness. 
and they believed that God would do it, and he did. He showed up, and he gave them boldness and courage to speak even when they were by themselves, even when they were apart from the rest of the body. Let me ask you this morning. It's easy to be a Christian, isn't it, on Sunday mornings? It's a little harder on Monday mornings when you're at work, isn't it? It, it, it's hard, it's easy when you're with a group of believers, but it's much harder to hold on to your faith. It's much harder to be bold about it when you're all by yourself, except the great thing about Christianity, the great thing our faith is, you're never alone. Amen? Amen? You're, you're never by yourself. There is always the presence of the Holy Spirit there amongst you, and I know it feels better to have someone whose shoulders you can grab and whose arm you can hold on to when you're afraid and when you don't have the courage, but the truth is, is that you have someone even better because He is Almighty God in the person of the Holy Spirit, able to work in you. Do you hear me? Able to work in you courage that you didn't have and boldness that you did not have before. Amen? Amen. All right. And to do things in you that you never thought you could do. And here's the amazing thing, right, is that uh, God's power was apparently sufficient to overcome their lack of courage and their timidity, right? Here's the amazing thing that, that, that's tough for us. We see these people in the New Testament and we think they're some sort of superhero. That, you know, they just have something that, we, that I don't have today, right? Anyone ever feel that way? Anyone feel like you're, you're inadequate for some reason? That, that, you know, if there's going to be anyone in a group, you know, in your classroom or at your workplace who's going to witness to an unbeliever, then surely it's going to have to be someone else because I, I'm not adequate to do it. You ever feel that way? I imagine they did too. You know why? Because they prayed for boldness. You know why I think they prayed for boldness? I guess it's because they lacked it. If they were bold, if they had it already, I'm guessing they wouldn't be asking God for it. They lack boldness. You ever lack boldness? You ever lack courage to speak? He will give it. And you know why I know so? Because it says right there, everywhere they went in the midst of persecution, they preached boldly. And boy, how about Saul? How about uh, Paul and Barnabas? Well, we'll read a little bit about them here in a little bit. But anyway, yeah, just going to synagogue and say, well, let's see what happens. We throw this up. You guys killed Jesus, and now, unless you come to repentance, uh, yeah, you're going to be lost in your sins forever. Okay, anyway, the gospel spread despite the opposition. This is an interesting thing. The gospel spread not despite the opposition, but because of it. This is, I think, an important point, because it doesn't matter what happened. The gospel was spreading. Uh, let me give you another example. Saul persecuted the church. And he drove re almost really single-handedly. He was like the tip of the spear in persecution against the Christians. Clay pointed out the other day that after Saul, Paul became Saul and was converted, the, the church enjoyed another time of, of, uh, of peace uh, because Paul had been converted. It was a really pretty amazing thing. He was the point of the spear in, in persecution. But let me tell you this. When Saul persecuted the church as, as intensely as he could, what happened? the church spread, and the gospel triumphed, and the church grew. When Saul became, when, 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 when the founder of Christianity himself showed up to Paul and said, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Uh, and he became converted, what happened? The church triumphed and grew, and the gospels grew. Do you see what I'm saying? It didn't matter what Saul did. The church was going to triumph. The church was going to grow. The gospel was going to be spread. It didn't matter what happened. God's will and God's word would not be returned void. Everything that he desired to happen in the gospel was going to happen. It didn't matter what side, which team Saul was on. Did not matter. But he was changed and he was transformed for our benefit that we might look and see what God can do with a life. Amen? 
may do the same in yours and mine. All right, in, 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 so anyway, here we are in, in, in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 9, please, we're just going to take, I'm kind of doing a survey through these. I hope you don't mind. Uh, but I think it's, it tells such an incredible story. Um, in, in Acts chapter 9 and verses 1 and 2, here we're going to read about Saul and his conversion just a little bit, okay, before his conversion. While Saul, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's how, what they called Christianity back in the day, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. All right, so what's Paul up to? Saul. What's Saul up to? Yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, you look at persecution, this is it. He went to the synagogue ruler and he asked him, hey, give me letters so that I can throw these people in prison. I'm going to stop this. And so he goes up, he says, I'm going to go up to Damascus and see if I can find any of these people so I can drag them back here. Notice it says a couple of places that he, it didn't matter who they were, men or women. He, he, he was, uh, you know, Paul was not uh, biased. He was not gender biased. He was uh, happy to imprison women too. And uh, that's what he was doing in Damascus. But you know the story. What happens when he... Um, what happens, well, I'm sorry, let me back up. I've got to set the stage a little bit. Here's a man willing to kill, willing to imprison men and women to demonstrate his devotion to Judaism, right? Willing to do whatever it took to, to, um, to prove his devotion to Judaism. Uh, who could withstand so much hatred? Who could, who could withstand it? Surely, at this point, surely the disciples would be defeated. Surely the church would come to a stop. Surely Christianity we would be cut off in its infancy. Surely this was the end of it. But we know what happens. The greatest enemy of the church found himself confronted by her founder. And um, let me tell you this about the power of God is that it was sufficient to change the greatest enemy of the church into its greatest ally. It's amazing. The greatest missionary ever was the greatest enemy of the church ever. Uh, just really amazing. Uh, and so um, how, how is it? How is it that the church withstood? How is it that the church could stand in the midst of so much hatred, in the midst of people who were in high places who were willing to do whatever it took to, tr- to tamp it down, to, to put it down, to cut it off? How is it that the church withstood it? I, I can only tell you one thing. It is the power of God at work, and we see it demonstrated. And when you read these passages, when you're reading this with us every day, a chapter every day, you see the demonstration of the Lord's will and his power to back it up. The gospel will triumph. The church will grow. It will be unstoppable. And the thing I want to get to to, for you today here is this, is that you know why it is that the church is unstoppable? Is it because out there that God is doing all of the speaking himself? Is it because that God is doing all the work of evangelism and God's doing all the work? N- not really. Is it there are people doing all of that? God is empowering people to do all of these things. It is God working in people. This is, this is really important for you and I to understand because here's the deal. It's easy for us to believe that God worked in these people. It's very hard to believe that God works in these people. You, you know what I'm saying? It, it's very hard for you to believe this about yourself, is that God can work powerfully in you. But I want to tell you this morning, let me set my hair on fire and, uh, and, I don't know, something. God can work powerfully in you. Would you do me a favor? Just turn to your neighbor and say that God can work powerfully in you. Yeah, don't be bashful. It's all right. Is that hard for you to believe? 
you can answer. It's okay. It's not just a monologue. I know I'm doing most of the talking here. Is that hard for you to believe? Yeah, for some, not for others. Interesting. Uh, well, um, it, it's hard for me to believe, honestly, sometimes. I don't know, maybe it's personalities or something, but it, it's hard for, for me to believe sometimes. Um, but, um, but I'm telling you it's the truth because, only because I read it here. But uh, anyway, we, let's march on here. I've got to make a, one more big point here before we wrap up. Acts chapter 13, please, as we continue on. So what's happened here is the gospel is hit in Jerusalem, but it's scattered because of the persecution, and then it goes to Samaria and some parts of Judea, and uh, then all of a sudden, the, just kind of out of the blue, it seems like they're in, um, they're in Antioch. Antioch is the largest city there on the kind of the Mediterranean seaboard on the east side, actually the third largest, I think, in the Roman Empire after Rome and, uh, 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 what, Caesarea Philippi? No, no, no. Um, another one I can't remember. Anyway, um, oh, that's going to make me crazy. I think it is Caesarea Philippi. In the ch- anyway, in verse 1 of chapter 13, in the church at Antioch, large city again, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, S- Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the, Lord, uh, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, the place, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the very first time in history. This is the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. This is the first missionary journey ever, right? This is the first time that someone just didn't go relocate somewhere, move somewhere, and spread the gospel. These people went on a trip to evangelize, right? It was their purpose. They went on a trip. They were going to Cyprus and parts of Asia Minor. Okay, verse 4. The two of them went, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed there from to, there to Cyprus, a little island out in the uh, eastern part of the, the Mediterranean. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them there as their helper. All right, let me tell you, um, it's kind of mentioned in, in passing here, but I want to tell you, talk to you a little bit about John. This is not John like uh, the Apostle John. This is John as in John Mark. This is the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark, um, not one of the original 12 disciples. We th- they think maybe it was uh, his mom's house where maybe they had the Lord's Supper uh, together with Jesus. Um, not 100% sure, but it sure seems to fit. Um, and he's with them as they, tr- as they journey through Cyprus, and then they're about to leave Cyprus and go on up to Asia Minor. Okay, look with me what happens there. Paul and Barnabas, so who's there? Paul, Barnabas, and John, Mark, yeah. Okay, and then verse 13, read with me. From Pathos, they, so they left Pathos, which was a city on Cyprus, and Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in uh, Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Okay, that is all that's given here as to what happened. But let me tell you, this was going to cause some trouble. John Mark left them, um, and there's really no reason given. Um, there's some that have been uh, kind of hypothesized, and I'll talk to you about, about that just a little bit. But um, maybe he was homesick. Uh, Jerusalem was his hometown. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe he was ready to go back home. Um, maybe um, some people have hypothesized is that uh, Barnabas was actually uh, uh, John Mark's cousin. Maybe he was a little um, uh, put off by the fact that, that uh, Paul was became, had become the leader. Maybe he became ill. It sure seems like in some of the Paul's writings that they, they wrote about all of them becoming ill. Maybe he couldn't withstand the rigors of the journey of what they were going through. Um, maybe he was afraid. Maybe he, uh, we don't really know. Uh, Clay pointed out yesterday when we were talking about this, pointed out that um, Paul and Barnabas had been called and set apart by the Holy Spirit. 
Um, there was no such calling on John Mark. He, it just kind of says that he went with them. Um, maybe he lacked courage or maybe he lacked the determination or maybe he lacked God's strength because he wasn't called like the other two guys. We don't, don't really know. But anyway, for whatever reason, he left. But whatever the reason was, it was a bad situation. Over in um, Acts chapter 15, if you would turn just a couple of pages over, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 38, it says this, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we had preached the word of God, the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had what? He had deserted them. All right, now this is not just Paul saying, but this is the writer of the book of Acts. Who was what? Who was whom? Luke, Luke, right, okay, um, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Let me pause there for just a second. Paul has been, is so upset about whatever it was that, that John Mark left them, and Luke records that as, the, as that he had deserted them, that Paul doesn't want to do any more missionary work with him anymore. He's done with him. Okay. Um. Couple of just maybe a couple more things. There's a part in Mark's gospel that's really pretty fascinating. Just out of the blue, in the midst of Jesus' arrest, you remember Jesus' arrest and all the disciples scattered whenever Jesus was arrested. Mark is the only one that mentions it, but he says there was a young man there who was who fled at Jesus' arrest, and he was only in his silk tunic. And whenever um, everyone fled, when he fled, um, he left his clothes behind and ran away naked. None of the other Gospels mention that. They think that maybe Mark's talking about that because maybe that was Mark. Maybe Mark, but get this, maybe Mark had run away before. Maybe this wasn't the first time that Mark had been in the midst of something difficult and had run away. Regardless of whether that was him or not, we know he deserted is the word that Luke uses Paul and Barnabas whenever they were trying to spread the Gospel. Um, but a couple things maybe about, about John Mark. He appears to be a young man. He describes himself as a young man at Jesus' arrest. This time period that we're talking about here is about four years after the resurrection. So he, if he was a, maybe a teenager at that time when Jesus was arrested, he might have been a late teenager or maybe in his early, early 20s, uh, but uh, a young man and, uh, uh, and not like maybe, maybe not so much like Paul, maybe not so much like Barnabas, but a young man. Uh, but uh, John Mark may be telling about himself about another time that he had run. Um, but, you know, the, the kind of the scary thing is, is that, you know, I think we can all look at John Mark and recognize a little bit of ourselves. True? You ever run in the face of trouble? <laughs> Do you ever cower whenever, whenever you know that you ought to say something in a word of, uh, of testimony to someone that you're in conversation with? Do you ever not because you lack the courage because you're a little timid? You ever been in a situation where there's a group of people saying or doing something that you know you shouldn't be a part of and that, or that you should be resisting or saying, no, 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 this isn't how this should go down? You ever find yourself going along because it's hard to stand up? It's hard not to just run away? Anybody have that tendency? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. It's, uh, let me, I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna finish telling you about what happens to, to John Mark, but, and this, you know, here's the tough thing for John Mark. This gets recorded, and this is gonna last forever. 
Poor guy. You know, my failures, thank goodness, aren't in black and white somewhere and written for people to read for, for generations. You know, his are, which is good for us, bad for him. But, um, but, uh, but here we go. John Mark and his tendency is to run, apparently, is, uh, is noted for us. But let me tell you, um, well, let me just ask you, is there any redemption for someone who'd blown it on this biggest scale? Is there any hope? Who, who could be redeemed from this kind of embarrassment? Who could be redeemed from this kind of a failure? Who could be redeemed after being called, essentially being called a deserter um, from the missionary uh, journey? Um, who can recover from a lack of courage to speak about their faith? Let me read on in Acts chapter 15, verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Who's they? Paul and Barnabas. We're not going to be able to do this together. Barnabas wanted to take um, uh, John Mark so badly and was just asserted that that's what he needed to do, and Paul said absolutely not, that those two parted way. First missionary journey team, gone. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. So they went back to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, here's the deal. Is that Paul, or, or uh, I'm sorry, um, John Mark goes off to, um, to Cyprus with um, Barnabas, and they go and they do ministry there. But that's not the end of what we hear about John Mark. That's not the end of the story. That's important. That's important. Let me tell you this morning, your failure and your lack of courage, and the times that you should have stepped up and done the right thing but didn't, is not the end of your story. Amen? You're still breathing. There's still time. You're still holding on to your faith. Then you still serve a God who is able to work powerfully in you and through you. Amen? Let me tell you, let's finish about what happens with John Mark. John Mark has written about some more. He's written in at least three of Paul's letters after this time. He's written about in 1 Peter. Matter of fact, we, we know that he hung out with Peter apparently while he was in Jerusalem for some time because it, it appears that um, his account of the gospel comes from stories. It, it just seems to have come from Peter's perspective. We believe that basically he captured Peter's story and told the, the story of the gospel there. Um, and if you would, um, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And let me tell you one of the last things that Paul would say about. John Mark. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. You remember 2 Timothy is written really near the, near the end of the life of, of Paul. And what he says here, um, well, let me back up a little bit. I don't have this on the screen, but I, w- I want to read to you what's happening here. Um, he's a, Paul's kind of lonely. He's, a, he's lonely, he's in prison, and, and he's, he's looking for, for comfort, he's looking for help, um, and he's asking for people to come and see him. Do your best, he's writing to, to Timothy, his young um, um, protege. Um, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas... Uh, because he loved this world, has deserted me. We've heard of that before, haven't we? Has deserted me, has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has also has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Now, who's Mark? This is the guy we're talking about, John Mark, years later. Bring, get John Mark, bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that fantastic? You see what's happened is that years earlier... 
Paul had written off John Mark and said, he's not, we're not taking on another missionary journey. He, he wasn't helpful to us. He's deserted us. And at the end of the ministry, though, John Mark has been doing the work of the ministry. He worked in Cyprus. He, 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 he met with, Paul, with Peter. He wrote the, the gospel of, of, uh, that bears his name of Mark. And at some point, at some time, he and Paul reconnected. And Paul said, this guy is helpful to me in my ministry, and I'd like to see him. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that a beautiful story of redemption? Let me, let me tell you this morning, the reason that I tell you this morning this story is because you and I have need of redemption, right? We have need of times that we've blown it when we've had the opportunity and we lack the courage. You have the need to know that you have a powerful God who is able to overcome all of your weaknesses, all of your failure, all of your sin. His power is greater than all of that, and he is at work within you. Amen? Amen. He is. Now, I say this all the time, but I want you to believe it this time. You and I tend to believe more in the power of our weaknesses than we believe in the strength of God. Do you hear me? When you don't think that God can speak through you a word of testimony, you're believing more in your weakness than you are in his strength. Let me say this really gently. That's blasphemy. It it really is. God is all powerful and able to overcome your weakness, your failures, your sin, and work in you and powerfully work in you. Amen? That's how the church spread. That's how it happened with every one of these guys. Not one of these guys was equal to the task. It is only that the gospel survived all the opposition. It was only that the gospel survived the timidity and the lack of courage in these men by the power of God. It's the only way that it happened. And it's the only way it happens today. So let me close like this. God's power through his Holy Spirit can overcome your fear. He can overcome your timidity. He can overcome every one of your failures. And it does not matter how you started the race, what? It matters that you know the one who can help you finish it. Notice I didn't say it matters how you finish. It matters that you know the one who can help you finish it. Let me tell you this morning, there is a problem in the church in that we try to do everything on our own as if we could. We can't do it. You can't muster enough boldness. You can't muster enough courage. You have to rely and pray for God to do this in you. Otherwise, it won't get done. The calling that God has on your life, the calling to fulfill the the, the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth, it won't happen except that God's people recognize, I can't do it, but I know the one who can do it through me. Amen? All right. Let me, let me say this to you are not defeated. I, I, I know a, a lot of you spend a lot of time just thinking that you're done for. I, I know that a lot of you spend a lot of time thinking that it's over because you failed over and again and you've tried over and again. But I tell you the truth is that we have a God whose power is at work within you and it is unstoppable. He can do anything he wills and desires in you and through you just like he did through those believers in the first century. All right. Um, yeah, that's the deal. We, we were never intended to do this on our own. We were never were. So, so let me ask you this morning. Are you asking for God's help? Are you asking for courage? Are you asking for boldness? Are you asking for wisdom? Are you asking for the ability to fulfill his calling? Well, listen, if you're not, you're not going to be able to do this. There's too much opposition. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough courage. You don't. But in you... 
and in me and in the church at large, the gospel is unstoppable because it is built on the power of the Holy Spirit within us. You believe in his ability to work in you? He can. He does. He will. He is able even when you are unable. He's greater than all our opposition. He's greater than all of our fears. He's greater than all of our failures. God's power in you is unstoppable. God's people standing in God's power. There is nothing like it on the earth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these examples of these men. We thank you for the example of, uh, of, of Saul, who um, in his um, shallowness of thinking thought that persecuting and trying to destroy the church was the right thing. But you showed up and you changed his life and you changed history forever. Lord, we thank you for men like John Mark, who, who we can see just very clearly is that they're just people like us. They're timid, they're afraid, they lack courage, they run when they should stand, and, uh, and Lord, we can relate to that. But we thank you, Father, that you weren't done with John Mark. And Lord, we thank you this morning that you're not done with us. We thank you, Lord God, that we can see the workings of your power through these very common, very ordinary men who had less education, less knowledge, less understanding than any one of us. But you work through them and you change the world. And your church continued to grow and your gospel proved to be unstoppable because your power was at work within people. And your people showed up in boldness and courage and wisdom that came by your Holy Spirit and they took over the earth. It, it just took over. It, it could not be stopped. No matter what the opposition was, it wouldn't be put down and it wouldn't be defeated because of people standing in the power of God. Lord God, help us to stand in your power. Help us to seek it. Lord, help us to recognize our need for your power, for your boldness of your Holy Spirit to be at work within us, for your wisdom. We ask this in the great name of our Savior and our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry I kept you a little longer than I intended. Lord bless you this week. He really does have power for you that you cannot imagine, and it cannot be stopped. Amen? Amen. Lord bless you.